This week on the show, we have Code Vicious tips for surviving the cabin fever and coding from home. We have a self-hosting tutorial for a password manager on OpenBSD. A preliminary OpenBSD support for uh, OpenBSD has been added, and that's what we talk about there. We have a curl tip of the day, some of shelf goodies for OpenBSD, and more in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 387, OpenBSD Broadcast Studio, recorded on the 20th of January 2021. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash bsdnow to get online backups for the truly paranoid. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Alan Jude. Welcome to this week's episode of BSD Now. Hope you're all doing fine at home and maybe if you're experiencing a little bit of cabin fever then this next uh, article or our first one in this uh, episode from george neville neal aka code vicious is the right one for you he has tips for surviving cabin fever and coding from home yeah uh, so somebody wrote into his acmq column saying dear code vicious forgive me if this seems off topic but i was wondering if you had any advice uh, for the majority of us who are now coding from home. I don't know how KV works day to day, but it seems pretty clear that the status quo has changed at most workplaces in the last several months. And it's hard to know if there are things we could be doing to stay productive while we're all at home, ordering delivery and microwaving our mail. Does KV CodeVicious have any good guidance from Cabin Fever? So George replies, dear Kevin, let me invite you to my next Zoom meeting on how to host Zoom meetings. Yes, like the rest of the world, Code Vicious has been coding from home when he's not screaming from home, breaking furniture from home, or generally drinking from home. As a devotee of mobile computing and remote work from its earliest days back at university, uh, where one of Code Vicious's first co-op jobs was working on package software for the Commodore Amiga from his dorm room. He says, I have over time developed a number of useful habits for maintaining a good and productive working rhythm. And I found that many of these apply well to those who are newly working from home. One note, I do not now, nor have I ever had children so I will not address the complexities of working from home while you have kids in the house. I know that <laughs> that whiskey on the gums was the salve recommended for teething when I was young, so perhaps a shot for the kids might sit down <laughs> at your desk might help, but please don't quote me to Child's Protective Services when they arrive. So anyway, here with are KV's guidelines for working from home. Number one, set your alarm and wake up at the same time each day. I don't mean set the alarm for some ungodly hours such as 8 a.m., unless that's what you would normally wake up. I mean that you want to keep a regular working schedule. The gig I mentioned that I did at university, I worked from 2000 to 0400, uh, five days a week, and then I slept until noon each day. That happens to have that happens to be how I like to work, and that job did not demand any day-to-day -day interaction with my coworkers. I only had to produce new versions of software each Friday for review. Uh, if you work with a group of other people, you should make sure you have some overlapping hours, at least two or three, with the majority of them so that meetings are possible. I'm sorry, but I just, uh, but just because there are end times does not mean we can avoid meetings. Yeah. I found that made a big difference for me, getting 
in more of a pattern and I found that it only took the alarm clock for a little while and now it's to the point where I wake up around the same time every day without the aid of the alarm. So the alarm is set as a backup an extra 20 or 30 minutes later and you know having that circadian rhythm in my body that this is bedtime and this is get up time uh, I found helps me sleep a lot better. I, I fall asleep quicker and I don't feel groggy in the morning because it's the time my body expects to wake up. Right, but you've been doing this even before pandemics were invented, right? Um, well, no. I, I, well, I started the switch around December of 2019, so a little bit before the pandemic, mm. but that's when I switched from staying up till, you know, I got bored at night and then sleeping until whenever. Uh, and basically keeping a different schedule every day. Mm, yeah, that messes you up. Yeah, so I definitely uh, agree with George here. Number two, shower and dress as if you were going to the office as you normally would. Many people think that those of us who normally work from home do so in our pajamas. Code Vicious does not wear pajamas ever, <laughs> but he does put on 501 jeans and some sort of shirt every day. Uh, do not underestimate the effect that a change of clothes will have on a change in your attitude towards work. If you work in your sleeping clothes, you are very likely going to have a problem delineating work time from non-work time. You know, in, in the before time, uh, this is something similar I did where I, I did my day job from a different desk. So I went, you know, there was a separate place uh, in my house where that was work and then I could leave work and be at home. That's not always an option for everyone. Uh, but yeah, sometimes, you know, if you don't have the option of changing a space, it can literally be just change your clothes. It's like you put on your work clothes and then when work is over, you take off your work clothes and put on your lounging around clothes or whatever. And that can help you delineate work time from not work time. So you don't feel like you're just working all the time. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. Which fits in with number three, uh, set a finishing time for each day and stick with it. Keeping a proper life-work balance for someone who is used to going to an office is harder when you switch to working from home. Suddenly you don't have a commute, uh, you can't roll from bed to desk and back, or you, you can roll from bed to desk and back. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, and it can also lead to you chopping up the door with axes and screaming, here's Johnny, uh, don't be like Jack. Number four is take frequent breaks of at least 15 minutes uh, for every two hour block throughout the day. We all love to be in the zone, but our eyes don't. And staring at a screen without interruption for eight or 10 hours a day is even easier at home uh, where there are no coworkers to interrupt you. Yeah, if I had uh, followed that advice when I was younger, I probably would need these very thick glasses. Yeah, we're all uh, been... <laughs> but it's just better for your eyes, your brain, your body, everything. Yeah, that's our... Uh, little uh, impairment here, working with computers and looking at screens the whole day. Number five was silence all your messaging apps. Whether it's Slack, IRC, Hangouts, and every other messaging app ever invented now causes a lot more interruption than they did when you were at the office because everyone is now alone and can't survive without the hallway conversation that lubricated their days. These apps are a major source of distraction and should be silenced uh, while leaving them counting badges on. <laughs> when you take one of your 15 minute breaks, you can check these apps to see if anything of true importance lies there. The nice thing about ignoring them for long stretches at a time is that people will often have found the answers they were looking for on their own by the time you check back, which save you the time of giving them the learning experience. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, that number six, I've definitely been a victim of this one. Uh, do not use social media during your breaks. Doom scrolling is a thing, and it's not the right way to take a break. Breaks are meant for getting up, walking around your cell or your home office, uh, getting another coffee, maybe looking out the window at the tumbling tumbleweeds as the sky darkens and the locusts. Oh, wait, wrong movie. <laughs> uh, but yes, don't get stuck into doom scrolling. It's a great way to have your time disappear without actually getting the break. Uh, number seven, arrange social time with actual humans outside of work. Yes, we're all masked, uh, wrapped in plastic, and supposed to wave at each other from the sealed confines of our homes. But one of the things that all humans need, uh, even coders, is human connections. Many companies have been hosting video conferences and games and other such activities during or after work hours, but I find these to be tedious and pointless as they're just like being trapped in yet another meeting with your coworkers. Mm -hmm. uh, a reasonable antidote to these distractions if you can't get out of the or get out to a park to meet friends at a distance of meters is to call a friend. Back in the old days, we had these telephone things and we would call friends and talk with them, sometimes about nothing at all. The sound of a friend's voice on the phone is far more likely to keep you sane than a contrived game with your coworkers with whom you've just spent the rest of the day. It's like podcasting, but more often. <laughs> uh, well, um, depends on your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we just had the, the Hamilton BSD user group meeting online last night. While it does often feel a lot like all the meetings we've been, you know, the conference calls we've been in, uh, it was different people uh, and about more fun things. But uh, yeah, having something is important. Number eight, exercise. He says, I can hear you uh, call screaming for my blood now, but Code Vicious is an ardent cyclist and has found he is riding even more now uh, that it's something he can do that's physically distanced from others and gets his blood moving. Gyms still seem to be problematic, but a walk in the park is not. Uh, so try that. Yeah, I'd like him to try that here in Canada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, well, not that New York's climate is all that different from here, but you know. <laughs> uh, when people went to the office, at least they walked to and from the parking lot. But now you can literally take as few as 100 steps a day, and that actually is not good for you, and it's not enough. Uh, number nine, use your old commute time to learn something new. The average person commutes two hours per day. You could give that time to your employer, who will happily take it from you, uh, but you could also use that turn to, at that time to learn a new skill, hack on a personal project, or read about a topic you want uh, to know more about. Someday this pandemic will end and you will go back to commuting and you will again lose those two hours, trading them for food and shelter, so take advantage of it now while you have them. Yep. And finally, number 10, if you schedule meetings, make them count. One thing the pandemic has taught us is that most people do not know how to run a meeting, which honestly is going to be a topic for a whole nother Code Vicious column because I'm nearly out of space here. Uh, in these troubled times where everybody seems to want more status meetings, it is important to note that meetings should be short, should have an agenda, and be run with ruthless, ef ruthless efficiency. That does not mean that you cut people off without provocation, but it does mean that you don't let meetings meander into unproductivity. Meetings are meant to share information quickly and often to arrive at a group consensus on solving a problem. Don't be too shy to shut down meetings that are pointless. Code Vicious does this all the time, pandemic or not. Let's face it, over the past six months, I, we've all had enough Zoom, Hangouts, and the like. 
uh, to last us several lifetimes. Anyway, I hope these tips and tricks will help you and serve you well as you continue to code from home after our current emergency has passed. And wishes the best of health to all of us. Okay. And if you like writing, if you find Code Vicious amusing, obviously you can check out his column in previous issues of ACMQ, but he's also just published uh, the collected works of Code Vicious as a book with a foreword by Donald Knuth. Oh, that's high praise. Yes. Okay. So yeah. Uh, so in the in the article, there's a link uh, to get it, but it it's, uh, should be available in bookstores now as well. So anywhere you would normally get your book, uh, you should be able to order it and get it delivered. Mm -hmm. All right. Then after a little bit of cabin fever, we should look at passwords, especially password manager. And what better way to self-host them on OpenBSD? And this is the article for you. So they write over at tumfatic.net that they've been using Ruby Warden to store and access their passwords from OpenBSD workstations and iOS toys. But recent redundant failures from the iOS app and Ruby Warden not being maintained anymore, oops, led to the need for a new solution. They were investing in a pass plus PGP plus Git, but that was quite complex. Following a toot from Celine, uh, they tried KeyPassXC and it does cover their requirements, which is access and manage passwords from iOS devices, filling credentials in iOS apps, and accessible and manageable from an OpenBSD and macOS workstation. And so this is a central service and you can just plug more devices to it to get your uh, passwords that you really cannot remember. Uh, there are a few bricks to assemble. The KeyPass XC database is an encrypted file. It is hosted on the OpenBSD server and replicated on every device. The file is encrypted using a passphrase and an extra physical key. Without both, you shall not be able to decrypt the file. The KeyPassXC file is kept sync between the server and the laptop using SyncThing. The KeyPassXC file is also accessed using the Strongbox iOS app and kept sync between the server and the iOS mobile devices using SFTP. From either KeyPassXC and Strongbox, the data can be updated and synced without closing any of those. Very nice. Okay, and here's the recipe for hosting the password database. A dedicated user allows access and synchronization of the password database. It is change-rooted in its home directory and can only gain SFTP access, no SSH login. So they added a user for that with home underscore strongbox and set the UID and, uh, of course, no login shell. And that is then created. Change their user ID to one they can remember. Of course, give permissions and change mods. So that's fairly straightforward. And then they added SSHD config to give a match user statement or a match user segment uh, to change root into that directory so they cannot escape that and then force the command to internal SFTP. Then they reload that and then SSHD will accept this user and then they create a, an SSH key, ED25519, of course, add for that strongbox user and add that to their office keys file. Good. So once that is done, they can then proceed by importing and managing passwords from a laptop. On their OpenBSD laptop, KeyPassXC can be installed from packages with a browser add-on. So that's fairly straightforward. Using Firefox, the Bitwarden database hosted by RubyWarden can be exported as a JSON and or CSV file. In their testings, all data are mostly well exported. The JSON is easier to read if you have many fields in the objects. Okay. So, and on the Bitwarden plugin, you select the settings and export vault, and that should do then the same. All right, then further down is synchronizing the server and the laptops. 
Using SyncThing, the password database hosted on the server is synchronized with a copy hosted on the laptop and the server shares to slash home slash uh, underscore strongbox, keypass XC directory with the laptop syncing it to slash uh, or tilde slash keypass XC. Yeah, so that each device has the same and the latest version. Then a little down the low, a little down the road is using the password database on the iOS devices. On those, they use Strongbox to manage and synchronize the password database using SFTP and paid versions is required to be fully usable. Ah, okay, but um, you just hit the plus icon and select add an existing database and select the SFTP location. Good. Oh, then people might uh, get the idea of, hey, why don't you use Nextcloud? In their experiments, they used the password database hosted in Nextcloud instance Using iOS files, Strongbox was able to access the Nextcloud storage, but they had issues with synchronization. Uh, they regularly had to access the Nextcloud share from files to have Strongbox updated. Ah, so on demand and not automatically. Another reason to leave NC, but that's another story. To conclude, uh, so far everything works stable. They never access the same database from several devices at the same time, but every update got available to all devices within a few seconds. So they say, bye-bye Bitwarden, you served them well. Uh, thanks again, JCS at OpenBSD for Ruby Warden. That was a great self-hosted solution. Okay, nice. Good to know that this is uh, working on all kinds of operating systems and devices. Next is our news roundup this week. We have a preliminary OpenBSD support added to opening, uh, not opening, open broadcaster studio. Yeah, uh, which is interesting because this is the second episode of BSD Now actually brought to you by OBS rather than uh, the commercial Wirecast software we're using before because I couldn't be bothered to reinstall it when I switched computers. <laughs> uh, OBS is really nice uh, and less magical. Uh, so it's been working very nicely here. Oh, good. So good to see them uh, getting support on OpenBSD as well. Yep. Uh, we also used OBS on FreeBSD to stream BSDCAN 2019. Uh, and it's also been used for most of the FreeBSD Friday streams as well. Yeah, so it's available on uh, many operating systems now and OpenBSD is just another one. So uh, OpenBSD developer Vadim Zukov has added preliminary OpenBSD support to open broadcaster software, OBS version 26.1.0 and later. The changes come as a part of an ongoing collaboration between the upstream OBS project and OpenBSD developers. Preliminary OpenBSD support was added in two commits. One introduced SNDIO support. This also got added, uh, I think, to FreeBSD 13 will also have SNDIO. Uh, but this adds an SNDIO plugin, which Sukov advises will provide more reliable, lower latency audio mixing from the FFmpeg plugin for OpenBSD users and the other. And I think um, we also have SNDIO available on FreeBSD uh, because we found it uh, Firefox audio worked better with it. Yeah. Uh, so that might end up uh, being helpful there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is a nice uh, cross BSD pollination. Uh, the other commit provides basic support for such help evaluating OpenBSD um, specific file system paths. Oh yeah, uh, a link to the release was posted on Reddit with the title claiming full OpenBSD support. Brian Steele, uh, was quick to provide helpful context in a comment. Uh, and so, quote, note that this is still a work in progress and it hasn't been submitted to the ports mailing list or committed to the ports tree. Uh, Zook and other have been working with the upstream. As I understand, there are issues that still remain. So full OpenBSD support is a bit premature, unquote. 
but I think they will get there. So an initial version is already uh, something people can try out and test and report uh, fixes and bugs maybe. Good, great. Especially in these times where more people uh, use this to broadcast themselves. And yeah, you don't need any uh, big expensive software to uh, start broadcasting and streaming. Then we found Dan's uh, curl tip of the day. Of course, this is Dan Langill of BSD Can fame and PGCon. Uh, Dan writes, the fortune this morning showed how you can contribute to ah, dmessaged via the command line. See the next tweet for that command. Ah, yes, I remember adding this to the fortune file. So in, on FreeBSD, there's a FreeBSD tips fortune. That's the only one that is uh, displayed because the other ones were too offensive or whatever. So this gives a couple of tips for your daily BSD use. And one of those is how you can upload your D message from your machine to a database from Nicebug. And they collect that and tell people this way what systems are supported, what drivers work, and um, yeah, the general support. Yeah, um, I remember we came up with the kind of one-liner for it because uh, as part of our efforts to look at deprecating certain older device drivers like uh, PC cards and just really, really old uh, 100 megabit network cards and so on. Uh, we asked a lot of people to run this command so that we could use that dmessage database to tell in a random sampling of people, does anybody have one of these crazy cards? Mm. And so, yeah, as the more people that submit these, the better information we have about what hardware is available. And the nice thing is you can obviously, you know, look at your far run dmessage.boot file and see what's going to be sent before it's sent uh, and you can even decide to edit that if you want yeah you can redact it and change it but the idea is but there's to keep nothing it, yeah. really sensitive in there right just machine and cpus and memory yeah. so and, yeah i i used uh, our command and control system to just run that command on like a hundred of our servers just to submit that information the fleet <laughs> yeah yeah so everyone knows and you can look at your own uh if, if your system is there already and then figure out oh look this driver i haven't uh gotten to work yet but apparently it's been supported so you can maybe get in touch with them and figure out what you need to do good then we have a list of some shell goodies for openbsd uh that is here on Vincent's blog, Vincent Delft, that is. Uh, so sharing some uh, practices I'm following and some small tips and tools which facilitate my usage of OpenBSD in my day-to-day. -day. And what's the, the first thing? Ah, path organization they start with. So most of the elements here uh, uh, will match K uh, corn shell on OpenBSD, but uh, I think uh, with OpenBox and Xterm as terminal and NeoVMS editor should also be possible to work on other systems. So the first one, the path organization, uh, the base applications in root and packages in user local. So they push all their own application to tilde slash dot local. Uh, so one of the first lines in their dot profile is the following. So first they add the home dot slash local and then bin and then the rest of the path. Ah, so that this is searched first. First, okay. Another important element for Window Manager and XDG's tool is to find the .desktop files in uh, tilde.local/shares/applications. Uh, if you want to set an extern window file, they also show how to do that. Some colors in LS. Oh yes, are they back? I really thought they would be gone, but okay. If you want colors in LS uh, to avoid the monochrome of XTerm, you can use uh, color LS package add 
uh, color ls and then in your dot profile you can export your ls colors and then configure away the colors that you like be aware that the longer your listings might be and the updating of the ls colors will slow that down depending on how many files and directories you need to display and they need to be colored so i don't know like I don't find it usually slows LS down that much. It, it doesn't? Oh, I had a, a big home directory once that just took hours to list. And then I reset the LS callers. And then zip, there it was. I don't know. Like the built-in FreeBSD LS with just the FG, capital F, capital G flags doesn't ever seem to slow down because of the colors. Oh, okay. Then, oh, this was a problem on Linux once, I think. Not on FreeBSD. Or Could be. Yeah. Okay. It can also just be that your hard drive is slow. <laughs> yeah, many reasons. Um, then they have another one for colors for the battery status. Oh yes, give me green color if it's full and red if it's going to die soon. So they show you that with a little battery function. Uh, completions for mostly used commands: SSH, SCP. So you can, for example, um, have a host list that is easily split and. Uh, gives you a bit more auto completion using tab so that is nice so check out the article there's plenty of examples there that you can either use uh, right away or just make them uh, adjust to your environment okay time for the beast bits this week there is a traditional text mode games from bsd article here on github for the people who haven't done enough gaming over the holidays there is the bsd-games repository from oh yes from way back when so apparently this yeah, so this is the original bsd games so this is different than the other repository we've talked about before which is a list of games you can run on modern bsd nowadays this is the original collection of the bsd games from like 1970s uh so it has womp which is the find the hunt the wumpus <laughs> it has the uh trek uh, and Spear Hunt and Adventure and a bunch of other old games. So you get Adventure, which is the original adventure written by Crowther and Woods. It has uh, an air traffic control simulator. <laughs> Battlestar, which is a tropical adventure, which seems to not match the name, but okay. They have the Caesar program, which is basically Rot 13 style uh, encryption. Cribbage, which is a card game. Dab, which is dots and boxes, which I used to play in math class all the time instead of doing my work. Drop 4, which is a Tritomino-type packing game. Go Fish, the card game. Gomoku, a Connect 5 version of Tic-Tac-Toe. Hangman, uh, Klondike, which is a text-based, or curses-based solitaire. Uh, robots, where you have to avoid the evil robots. Uh, sail, which is, you know, sail your ship into battle. Uh, snake, uh, Spear Hunt, which is hunting space pirates. And Worm, where you eat the numbers without running into anything. Ah, uh, yes. And of course, Hunt the Wumpus. Uh, it says, many programs that were in the original 2.17 distribution were removed to focus on providing playable games rather than rusty junk piles, including uh, Bog, or sorry, Boggle, Millie, and Monopie were in, uh, also infringing on Hasbro copyrights. Ooh. Fantasia, uh, Hunt, and a few others were unplayable on single-user systems. And uh, Arithmetic, Quiz, Rain, Worms, PPT, uh, and a bunch of others uh, were just plain junk uh, and would likely be missed by no one. Although, 
a couple of those I take issue with. The palm or phases of the moon. Apparently people like that one. Uh, and Morse, while not that useful, is can be useful for sending messages to LED lights. So if there's a GPIO that can control a blinking LED, you can use Morse code to send messages that way to do like error codes and so on. Uh, and then there's a couple that broke out into their own separate repos, including Primes, uh, Rogue, Hack, Fortune, Factor, Banner, and Backgammon. Yeah, something for everyone. All right, good. And oh, we're back. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> on Easter eggs now. Uh, FreeBSD Easter eggs is a Twitter post by Devin Teske about a uh, few know or recall the Easter egg I put into FreeBSD 9.2. Put loader underscore logo equals tribute or in black and white even in loader.conf and see it diehard Nakatomi 9.2 BSD release tribute. Long since removed, but you can relive the Easter egg by putting. Uh, that code into slash boot. And there's a couple of screenshots in the tweet as well to see how it looks. So you can give your uh, bootloader a little diehard touch. Very nice. Yeah. So that was a nice Easter egg. Yeah. When that came out, that was a big of a surprise. Then we found a prehistory and history of Unix slide deck. This is a Google yes, Docs. This is a, a lecture from somewhere. Uh, and it's talking about uh, you know the prehistory of computing. Ah, with pictures from, oh yes, in black and white. Wow, this is some new pictures I haven't seen yet. Yeah, this is like real prehistory, like the uh, selective sequence electronic calculator from 1948, and then into like multi-programming, the, compati the compatible timeshare system, or TCSS, from like 1961, and then uh, they got some other stuff, and then they start talking about, oh, operating system started becoming a thing and then you got multics and designed by committee and that not working and then you got unix which was the successor to multics and then everything we know now came out of that uh, and they have you know a little animation of the bsd family tree glowing growing slowly out of the the unnamed pdv7 operating system became Unix versions one to four, and then that became BSD, and then we got Unix version five, six, and seven, and and then you get BSD three and four, and then Unix eight, and on and on through uh, into the, the regular history of BSD. Yeah, to modern ages, until they become history one day. But yeah, so check it out. There's plenty of information from the times when Unix was, or the BSDs were still young. A bit more modern info is given in the following YouTube video, how to see uh, and, or how to use Android USB tethering to get internet on FreeBSD. So that is a how-to video and that connects your Android to your FreeBSD box and provide internet this way. And another one, a VPNathon number two for Charmbug. This is uh, the user group. Ah, here we go. Our next formal Charmbuck meeting will be held online. The goal for this meeting will be to discuss any uh, BSD user group topics or general issues, um, followed by a hackathon on setting up VPNs on BSD operating systems. At the last VPN hackathon, they set up WireGuard at, as a client server using FreeBSD. The goal for this hackathon is to further explore uh, tile scale or tail scale, tail scale. To make it even easier to set up a VPN, the goal would be to work through and share configurations using Jitsi and find what is the best way to set up a VPN on BSD. We will be taking notes and providing this information on the Charmbug GitHub. Uh, notes and URL is provided. 
So that's uh, meet.jit.si slash charm and uh, then when is this going to happen? Thursday, January 28th, 2021, and uh, at 7 p.m. EST. Cool. That's a good uh, way because VPNs, the more we stay at home, the more likely it is our networks uh, become computer or corporate networks. Yep. Uh, or, you know, you end up having to connect to a whole bunch of them at once. <laughs> yeah. And so having a secure network. I went to their last meeting and it was fun. So. Okay. Good. So, yeah. Check it out. Speaking of security, uh, we should mention our sponsor for this week, which is Tarsnap. And they are big in the security space because they secure your most valuable data, your backups. You should do regular backups. And if you do, you might want to do it properly and securely because your backups are your digital life. And if other people get a hold of that, then it's probably not going to be so good to you because passwords and sensitive information documents nothing should be seen by everyone yeah you know in particular the only thing worse than you not having a copy anymore is someone else having a copy and not giving it to you yeah <laughs> well no just anyone else having a copy period <laughs> uh, right well a plain text copy uh yes so uh tarsnap is the best solution because you have the source code for the client that you can compile yourself and audit and do whatever you want with. Um, then you uh, feed it the files you want to back up. It will segment those and deduplicate them. Uh, the way it, it uses uh, an algorithm column, in, column invented for finding the smallest diffs. Um, this algorithm uh, is eventually went on to become BS diff and is the default Delta update system used by uh, software you download like often uh, Firefox and Chrome both use it to distribute updates for apps uh, so that you don't have to download the whole app just the bits that have changed and obviously FreeBSD update uses it because that was some, a tool that Colin developed but that same kind of algorithm is used on all of your files to rather than you know just saying oh every file is made up of 4k blocks and if you change one byte in that 4k block we'll just back up that whole 4k block uh, it uses its better algorithm to find the smallest possible changes uh, in order to send those up to the cloud. So after segmenting your files, finding just the differences, deduplicating it so that if you've already sent that difference in another file, you don't need to send it again. It computes all the hashes, compresses those, uh, encrypts and signs them, and then sends them to the cloud. This means that, you know, with the encryption there, means nobody without the key can read it, but it also means when you get the encrypted archive back, you can use the signature to verify that A, this is the backup I sent, not some other version, and it is the it hasn't been modified since I backed it up. Benedict had first-hand experience recently where his laptop died and he needed to restore from Tarsnap, and he will tell you for sure he's very glad he uses Tarsnap. Yep, I had no issues restoring them since I kept the key on a separate uh, system or a separate USB stick yes, hidden away. Definitely the the most important thing is make sure the key doesn't only exist on the machine you're going to need to restore. There's a reason why the Tarsnap utility has a special mode to make a thing you can print and laminate and put in a safe uh, or whatever, because you definitely need the key and you need no one else to have the key. Yeah, even the Tarsnap people cannot help you recover your files if you lost the key. So Yes, that's a feature. Exactly. It means that no matter what a government tries to do to Colin, there's nothing he can do to help them because it was designed, you have the key, they never see the key, and the data is useless without the key. Yep. 
It's cheap and easy to use, documentation online, and there's also a book by Michael W. Lucas, Charsnet Mastery, if you want to get really the last bits of the client working and any uh, other information around Tarsnet. But it's straightforward, documentation online serves uh, the purpose of giving you a start and letting you uh, make backups regularly. Okay, it's time for feedback and questions of this episode. Uh, future episodes will be very empty without feedback, so keep sending those to feedback at bsdnow.tv and then we will have something to talk about here. The first one is Kev with a Ramdis question. Kev writes, Hi, Happy New Year to you all. Thank you, to you too, Kev. Uh, are there any BSD-based solutions where the OS boots then runs from a RAM disk, ideally where some state is permanent on a ZFS file system, like password slash var, etc., uh, like SmartOS? All my SATA ports are for storage and don't want to run from a USB stick. I would normally just use SmartOS, but for whatever reason, the kernel won't load on my integrated motherboard and CPU. Uh. NetBSD would be my preferred platform, but I have no issue with FreeBSD. Thank you for your advice. So yeah, uh, FreeBSD has a couple different ways to do this, but one of the popular ones is you can pixie boot uh, what's called an MFS root or memory file system root. So you basically make this small, uh, possibly compressed image that is just what to store in memory and it will have your root file system in it and then you can mount other paths from say zfs over that so that you know etc and slash var come from uh, zfs yeah and you can so you can boot that by having something like a usb stick that will then boot into the memory fs and not use the usb stick outside of booting uh, so that you're not running off it all the time and using it up or you can pixie boot into the mfs root uh, in fact uh, earlier, we were talking about changing the way the FreeBSD package building cluster works to make it pixie boot uh, using an MFS root like that so that uh, it doesn't need NFS for the root file system or something, but so that it's easier to run a newer kernel on all 20 something package builders rather than have to upgrade each one individually. Yeah, that's a solution and a good use case for uh, it. So if, if you're looking for a Depending on the type of solution you're looking for, there's a couple of options. One is called MFSBSD, which is a set of scripts to basically make a USB stick uh, with the tools you need on it. Uh, and it boots and runs entirely out of RAM. And the main idea behind it is kind of like a rescue stick uh, or to be used as a, a build environment in order to install a system. So you boot off without using any disks so that you can then you know, write your file system to the disk or whatever, uh, or as a rescue system for fixing things. Uh, or you can do something like the MFS route we talked about to, you know, be able to pixie boot or boot off a USB stick, but not run from the USB stick. Hmm. And then I think as part of NanoBSD, there's a set of tools in FreeBSD for, I think it's like save CFG is one of them, uh, which can do things like save the changes you've made to slash ETC to the USB stick so, so the, the config partition on the USB stick is not normally mounted, but when you save, it'll be mounted and, and it gets read back as a memory FS each time. So that, you know, kind of like the um, save running config on a, a router mm. where, you know, it, all the changes you make only exist in memory and will be lost when you reboot, but you can choose to save them to the persistent storage. Yeah. And so you have a quick RAM disk and can also... Um persistent certain files yeah. and configs you can decide when to persist out to disk uh, or you can just have 
you know, as the system finishes coming up, it mounts uh, the ZFS file system for slash var or whatever and, and keeps that stuff persistent. Okay, hopefully that gave you a couple of pointers. And uh, then we move on to uh, John with a question because he's new to FreeBSD. Uh, John writes, hi, I'm new to FreeBSD. I've used Linux for a while. I installed GhostBSD on my laptop. When I'm using the desktop, it looks just like any Windows, uh, Windows, Linux distro I've used, of course. I'd like to learn more about the difference between BSD and Linux. What would you recommend for beginners who want to get started with BSD? Yeah, um, so as a desktop user, the differences aren't very big, right? You're running the same X, the same desktop environment software, probably the same web browser, all that kind of stuff. So all that looks the same. The big differences are mostly going to be how devices work, how devices are named, how the hard drive is named and partitioned, and a lot of the more system-specific tools. So obviously, like the tool to partition your disk has a different name. The network management stuff is all different. Ifconfig is still a thing on FreeBSD, and it's a much better thing. Ifconfig on Linux never let you create VLANs the way that the one on FreeBSD does. I guess it really depends what you're trying to learn to do. If it's use FreeBSD as your desktop operating system, then it sounds like you've got a good start using GhostBSD there. Maybe you want to figure out what it takes to get your webcam working nicely and audio and be able to join a Zoom call. Uh, that's one direction. Or you know, use OBS and start recording things, uh, live streaming things. Or it could be, you know, you want to do more advanced stuff with networking or jails or whatever. Uh, and we cover all kinds of stuff on the show. So it's mostly find something you're interested in or something you want to try to learn to do and then start banging your head against it. Yeah. <laughs> or there's some features on the BSDs that you were missing from the Linuxes and that's why you switched. Uh, check out the FreeBSD handbook, for example. It has a couple of... Uh, good chapters in there for beginners and you can read it from basically top to bottom and or skip to the networking section there is a couple of examples there uh, there's also a new wine chapter there if you want want to run some windows applications that should also be more easy to do now and i think from there you just maybe go to the forums and figure out what people talk there and i guess there's plenty of ways to get more involved in BSDs or learn about the BSDs. And since you know how to set up the system already, that's already a good start. And from there, you maybe want to, I don't know, run a server or just keep your file safe using ZFS. And there's plenty of opportunities. So be open to explore and add a lot of things you can carry over also from your Linux experience so you don't have to relearn everything. So uh, I think that gives you enough pointers for, for now. Otherwise, you can send us a follow-up questions. Uh, all of those should go to feedback at bsdnow.tv. And that pretty much wraps up this episode of BSD Now. Thank you for listening. And till next time. Yep. See you next time.